In the name of Jesus, Amen. Dear saints of God, it was Friday that I was visiting with a doctor. He he has oversight for an emergency room in Kansas, and he's a retired army surgeon, and we were talking about preaching, and he gave me some fantastic insight into preaching. He said, you know, Brian, preaching is like performing surgery. You have to take out the scalpel and cut deep. Preaching, he said, like surgery, is a violent act. It takes courage. You have to wound before you can heal. Most preachers, and this was his evaluation, most preachers are trying to do heart surgery without breaking the skin. (laughs) They're trying to fix a person's heart with a Band-Aid and Neosporin. (laughs) I thought this was a pretty good diagnosis for a lot of sermons. It was a good reminder for me. And it's good for us to consider when we hear the preaching of Jesus. We have in the Gospel reading from Matthew 13 a sermon from our Lord, and it cuts deep. The kingdom of God, he says, is like a man sowing seed. The farmer plants good seed, but the enemy comes in the night and mixes up weed seeds with all of the good seed, and and nobody even knows it until the plants sprout and they start to grow up, and then the servants see it with a panic that there's weeds among the wheat. Should we pull it up, they asked. And the master says, no. Let them grow together, lest you would destroy the wheat. Let them grow together. The reapers will sort it out. When the time of the harvest comes, they'll gather together the weeds and throw them to the fire and the wheat they'll bring into the barn. Now, we don't have to wonder, dear saints, about what the parable means because it's a few verses later that Jesus explains it. He taught the parable to the crowds, but later he goes with his disciples into the home And the disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. This is Matthew 13, verse 36, and Jesus answers. The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man, Jesus. The field is the world. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom, that's the Christians. The weeds are the sons of the evil ones, the unbeliever. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age and the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered, this is Jesus still explaining, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, says Jesus, let him hear. A farmer sowing his his seed, planting it into the ground... This sounds to me 
so wonderfully peaceful. But then, things start to fall apart. There's this enemy who's, who, who's jumping over the fence in the darkness and scattering around all of this bad seed. Think of how the enemy must have planned this. How he must have gone out into the field of weeds the fall before and collected all of the bad seeds. How he must have been in the distance watching through the bushes or something as this farmer prepared his field and tilled the ground and got it ready. Just think of how he was, he was watching for the very day when the farmer went out and sowed his seed so that he would be ready that night to come in the darkness and spread his chaos. This is a picture of the devil. And it is the devil's delight to constantly plot and creep and work against our Lord Jesus, to work against His gospel, to work against His church. Dear saints, it is the devil's delight to work against you. The devil hates it. He hates it when you hear His word. The devil hates it when your sins are forgiven. The devil hates it when you have in your mouth the very body and blood of Jesus and the forgiveness of your sins. The devil hates that. And it is the sum and aim of his existence to destroy it, to, to attack all of the works of God, to, to overcome the good things that the Lord Jesus is doing. The devil has a multitude of strategies. He attacks both our faith and our love. We're not ignorant of this. The, the, the devil attacks our faith. When he, well, you know how he does this. He, he comes to you and there's some sort of temptation or sin sitting there in front of you and the devil comes along and, and when you should be hearing the, the law which says don't do this, avoid this, flee from this, the devil comes along and preaches the gospel. Oh, don't worry. The Lord will forgive you. Go ahead and sin. And then whenever you sin or fall to temptation, the devil switches his tone. Right when you need to hear the gospel, the devil comes to you with his law and he says, I can't believe you did that. And you call yourself a Christian. The devil brings up our own sins, trying to destroy our conscience, to deliver us over to an evil conscience, to, to destroy our faith in the Lord Jesus and in his word. And then the devil has the backdoor attack. He tries to attack our love for one another also. If he, can, if he can't cast out of our mind the, 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 the wonderful promise that we're forgiven and the Lord looks past our sins, then he tries to come and destroy our love for one another. The devil comes and reminds you of the, of the sin someone has committed against you. You know how this goes, right? Oh, I can't believe they did that to you. I can't believe they said that. I can't believe they, they forgot that. I can't believe they looked at you like that or whatever kind of nonsense the devil would sow in our mind. And then if the devil can make us angry with one another, then we begin to excuse ourselves from loving one another. I don't have to love them. They, after all, sinned against me. And then the devil has us in our lack of love as well. The devil loves to do this sort of nonsense. And one of the ways that he would destroy our love for one another is by planting right in, in the midst of the church unbelievers. He puts right next to the Lord's Christians people who are not Christian 
That's what this text is about. How the devil sows in the midst of this field with the wheat. That's the Christians. How the devil sows unbelievers. We know, and here's a little doctrine. We know that the church, properly speaking, is made up only of believers. Those who have faith in Christ. In fact, that's what the definition of the church is. All believers in Jesus. Sheep who hear the voice of their good shepherd. If you believe in Jesus, that his death was for you, then you are a member of the church. But if you do not believe in Jesus, you are not. But Jesus is teaching in this parable that there are those who have an outward affiliation with the church, who have their name on the church rolls, but are not truly members of the church. There are those who look like wheat, but they are really weeds. There are some who say they believe in Jesus, but do not. They confess Jesus as Lord, but they deny Him in their hearts. There are hypocrites, our Lord is teaching us, gathered around His altar. And this is where the scalpel really comes out. There are some, and this is frightful, There are some perhaps even sitting in here who are not Christians, who are still in their sins, who do not belong to the Lord Jesus. And the devil loves this because the devil would have us begin to look around and say, I wonder who it is. Remember how it was when our Lord Jesus was distributing his body and his blood to his disciples on the night when he was betrayed? And he said, one of you will betray me. And they each started to ask, is it I? And to look around to sort out who it is. So we would be tempted to begin to to purge ourselves, to begin to look into someone's heart, to begin to bring judgment against one another. And the devil loves it. And that's why Jesus tells the parable. Because Jesus says that while it is true that there are unbelievers, even affiliated with my church, it is none of your business. We want to be like the servants, right? Lord, let's, uh, let's pull out the weeds and throw them away. And Jesus says to that, no. No. The angels will sort it out when the end of time comes. I will do the judging, the pulling up, the sorting, the casting into the fire. You do no such thing. Your concern, your one concern, says Jesus, is to be righteous. The... You see, the devil would love it, dear saints, if he can get us drawing lines in the sand, making divisions and and judgment and casting aspersions on one another, doubting each other, questioning each other's faith. This is all the seeds of the devil. But Jesus wants us to be firmly planted... Firmly planted in His Word. Firmly planted in His forgiveness. Firmly planted in His promise. And that is how we fight against the devil. That is how we avoid the damnation that comes at the end to the unbelievers. That is how we escape the fires of hell and come to eternal life. 
that is a second place where we have to address the text. Because our Lord Jesus does teach that there is an eternal destruction for those who do not believe. The Son of Man will send His angels back to the text and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And maybe this teaching is offensive to us. Maybe, maybe the idea of hell troubles us. Maybe the thought that there is a, a eternal destruction for the unbeliever seems to us it seems to us unfair. But the reason, and I, dear saints, think that as we think about this, we will be firmly planted in the righteousness that the Lord has for us. The, the reason that hell troubles us is that we don't know how bad we really are. We don't, even us Christians, we don't realize how offensive our sin is to God. We think of ourselves, in spite of the Lord's Word, which tells us page after page that we're poor, miserable sinners, that we deserve God's wrath and destruction. We believe about ourselves that we're generally good people who every once in a while make little mistakes. And hell makes no sense. If it's true that we're generally good people, that we just every once in a while make a, a mistake, it would be better for the Lord just to, to slap us on the wrist and let us go. But when we realize our sin, the, the depth of our sinfulness, then hell begins to make sense as well. If you will indulge me in a little story, I probably shouldn't tell you this, but there was one time that I went to traffic court. I was a lot younger. <laughs> And I was standing there in traffic court as the people were being sentenced. One after another, the people would go up there and they would plead guilty to their offense and the judge would give them a court fee or a $30 fine or something like this. And I thought to myself, this is my first time to get a ticket. My first time in court. And really it wasn't that bad what I did. No big deal. I was feeling pretty good about myself. I'll get off easy. Until I stood in front of the judge and I pled guilty to my crime. And he said, 50 hours community service. <laughs> well, maybe I'm not as innocent as I thought. Maybe I'm not as good as I presumed. Maybe I'm not as, maybe I'm not as holy as I thought I was before I stood before the judge. And that's what this threat of hell does for us. Maybe we're not as good as we think we are. Maybe we don't deserve from God all the things that we expect from Him. Maybe it's true that instead of slapping us with 50 hours of community service, the Lord would slap onto us an eternity of suffering. That's what you deserve. But then, when we begin to realize what it is that we deserve, then we begin to realize everything that the Lord has given us. When we know what we should get, then we know the difference between what we do get. Imagine that someone owes you money, 
Oh, imagine that you owe someone else money. This will be better. Imagine you owe your neighbor $5. And they come over and they ring the doorbell and they say, Hey, I know you owe me this money, but don't worry, it's forgiven you. And you would be grateful for that $5 forgiveness. But imagine that you owed your neighbor $50 million. And they come over and they tell you, Hey, I know you owe me all this money, this 50 million bucks, but you're forgiven the debt. Don't worry about paying it back. That's quite a different thing, isn't it? That's quite a different gift. Well, think what would happen and imagine this. Imagine that you owe your neighbor 50 million dollars, but you think that you only owe your neighbor five dollars. You got it? You owe 50 million, but you think you owe five. And now your neighbor comes across and rings your doorbell and, and they say, I know that you owe me some money, but don't worry, it's forgiven. You would have five dollars worth of thankfulness for 50 million dollars of forgiveness. That, dear saints, is how it is with us. We have no idea how bad we are. We have no real sense of how much we owe to God. We have no comprehension that, that, that what we've deserved from God from our sin is His wrath, eternal suffering. But when we begin to understand this truth, then we begin to understand all that Jesus has paid. When we begin to understand the depth of our sin, we begin to understand the height of the Lord's love. And then, when we know this, when we know that Jesus was on the cross suffering for us in our place, when we know that Jesus was spilling His blood to pay our ransom, when we know that Jesus was, was closing His eyes in death and breathing out His last breath for us so that we would escape the fiery, the, the fiery punishment of hell, then when we know this, the Lord makes us His righteous ones. He accounts this for, uh, to us as perfection. And then, when we know the great love of Jesus, we have this promise. Then the righteous, says Jesus, the ones who are forgiven of all of their sins, will, will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. May our dear Lord Jesus send His Holy Spirit so that by, by our firm plantedness in His Word, we would overcome the devil and come at last to the joys of eternal life. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, May it guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.